if I'm going to be able to be a safe place for other people relationally, I have to feel safe in God's care. I actually have a refuge. That's what my fear is telling me, is that I need a safe place. I need a refuge. And God is that for me. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Enneacast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram, and this season is all about the Enneagram at work. And we're making our way through all nine types. We are in the middle of the head triad, and today we're going to take a look at type six, commonly known as the loyalist. We're going to be looking at some of the ways that sixes relate and operate in a work setting and how sixes can bring their true self to the workplace. And we're also going to have some tips for how to get along with a type six coworker. So if you have a coworker who's a six, make sure you stick around for those. Okay, where do we start? Well, to look at sixes at work, we'll be using the five truths about work that we looked at in episode 46. So as a reminder, those five things are work starts with God. Work is good. Work serves a greater purpose. Work is not the way it should be. And work is redeemed through the gospel. Okay, so in light of all that, let's dive into type six, the loyalist at work. So the first truth in talking about work is that number one, work starts with God. And here's what that means. All the types reflect a certain aspect of God's character and sixes reflect God's faithfulness and God's courage. I say all the time that when sixes are at their absolute healthiest, they really manifest the covenant of God, the ability to make a commitment and to follow through with it, and even to fulfill that commitment when the other party doesn't. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so sixes really embody that aspect of God's character. You know, this reflection is a part of what we call our true self, and it can show itself in a lot of different ways. And that naturally leads to truth number two, which is that work is good. God created work to be a good thing, and we can see that he also created sixes as a good thing. They are complete and whole in their true self. And when sixes are healthy, they reflect this goodness at work. So let's talk about some of the good things a six can bring to the workplace. So they create a sense of camaraderie. Once they know they trust you, a six can be loyal and stick with you through thick and thin. They are great team players, and they enjoy the company of others. And I think not just relationally, but like to an organization or to a company, they will be super loyal through shifts and changes and reorganizations. You know, they are in it for the long haul if you can prove to them that you are also loyal to them. Yeah, sixes in a lot of ways are like pack animals. Like they really embody a sense of like, I am not just on my own, unconnected, Mm -hmm. you know, disconnected from everybody else, but I'm a part of a community. And they bring that into the workplace. Second, you know, sixes are inquisitive. And they're intuitive. Uh, You know, a six can easily spot difficulties. I mean, if you're having a conversation at a workplace, 
the six's natural disposition is that they see all the holes. They can't not see all the holes. And so they see the roadblocks, the possible setbacks. Uh, they'll ask the right questions in order to make sure that the team is prepared. And so often where the rest of the team is ready just to run on ahead, the six will slow them down and make sure, are we truly prepared for this thing? Yeah, a lot of people call the sixes the questioners. And some of the more fast-paced or aggressive numbers can get really fed up with that because they just want to go, like do the, you know, starting gun. But the six is like, wait, wait, wait. No, what about this? What about that? And it can be really frustrating, but it's so good for a team because what a six will say is they're just poking holes. And if it still stands after all those holes have been poked, they will go forth and they will work so hard. But if it falls... How much better for it to fall in the meeting than after you've already launched it into the world? Mm -hmm. So they're actually super essential to be on teams and in leadership in a workplace. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a type six here on our team. Mm -hmm. And I mean, true to all these things, when we show up for meetings, you know, I'm like improvising and I'm like going off my intuition and my loose memory and my ADD and it's all like I'm a little all over the place that is not her she is showing up with her notes she Mm -hmm. is showing up ready to take notes she is showing up with a punch list of things that she needs answers for Um, and in many ways I say that a healthy six helps an organization to grow up Uh, they are often the adults in the room that are really helping the rest of us go oh this is what responsible adulthood looks like. So a healthy six, I mean, they can really transform, you know, an organization, a business, a culture. They bring a lot of maturity into the place. That's so true. So they're also honest and straightforward. I guess that comes with being a questioner. You can't be not honest and straightforward if you're asking a bunch of questions. The six isn't afraid to speak up and address an authority figure if they see that something is going down the wrong path. You know, they want to keep themselves and their team safe. And that also means that they will give credit where credit is due and they will acknowledge everyone's part on a team. They do not want to be the front runner of the pack. They want to be well within the pack. Mm -hmm. So they're happy to acknowledge everybody else's contributions. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're also they stay calm in crisis. So while the rest of us are freaking out, they (laughs) have already made plans for this. They already have a contingency plan for this scenario. And so there can be a real calm that comes over them um, because they already know how to deal with it. So work starts with God. Work is good. And let's move to number three, which is work serves a greater purpose. And that purpose is relationships. All of life is relational. So even if you're hoping that your workplace will be a mission field to spread the gospel, you have to start by building relationships. Right. And a common relationship often seen in the workplace is that of a supervisor and supervisees. So let's talk about how a six might relate to that relational dynamic. You know, most sixes tend to prefer being supervised. And here's why. Sixes can be naturally skeptical of authority and those in positions of power. People can experience sixes as doubters. Mm -hmm. What a lot of folks don't realize, they doubt themselves the most. And the idea of being the one that everyone else is looking to for answers Mm -hmm can be a little overwhelming for a type six. Yeah. You know, and when they're being supervised, they do a great job of bringing the most important questions to their bosses and making sure that the answers are thoughtful and honest and have, you know, accounted for all the details. Right. So even though they may not prefer to be the supervisors, sixes can make great supervisors. 
So it might be hard for them at first because, like you said, they want to second guess themselves. They're suspicious about authority, which can make them hesitant to assert their own leadership. But they are great leaders because they're organized. They think through all the questions that need to be addressed to make a safe and steady plan. They're also excellent at building up their team. They have no qualms with highlighting people's achievements and their strengths and putting them in places where they can succeed and thrive. And they're going to clearly communicate all those expectations to each person that is under their care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first three truths are work starts with God, work is good, and work serves a greater purpose. And that helps us see that sixes have so many good qualities they bring to the work environment. And that is true, but anyone who woke up this morning knows work isn't always good or ideal. Which actually brings us to truth number four. Work is not the way that it should be. You know, because of sin, everything is affected by brokenness, including our work. And for sixes, that means that not only can they bring their true self to work, but their false self also comes along with them. And a lot of the false self for the six comes out in the form of their deadly sin, which is fear, or their idol, which is safety. So let's talk about some specific ways that this sin, this false self, shows up at work for a six. First, a six can create an atmosphere of anxiety. This happens when the six begins to feel the compulsion that they need to have contingency plans for everything. Mm -hmm. Every possible scenario needs the emergency plan in the binder, you know, with all the details. And generally what that makes them is very, very, very reluctant and hesitant all the time, Mm -hmm. unsure all the time. And it can cause the staff that work around them or under them to really feel like, oh, my gosh, I feel so anxious all the time at work. Yeah, it can really paralyze the project. Yeah, anxiety is contagious. Yeah. They can also become really rigid about the rules. Um, Sixes and ones can sometimes look a lot like each other in this way because, of course, it's good to know and follow the procedures at your work. But sometimes a six can use those rules as a form of safety And then nobody has any wiggle room to use creativity or to act in the the appropriate way for that situation. It's like we have to follow all the rules to a T. You know, they're kind of the hall monitors of the office. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A work environment that has very little protocol is probably not a very healthy environment. Mm -hmm. But we know, I mean, if good grief, look at our government. uh, We can definitely like over protocol things, you Mm -hmm. know, to the point that things are just bogged down. And, uh, and there are times where sixes can contribute to that unintentionally. Also, you know, there are times where sixes can create a problem when there actually isn't one because they will say, well, this is a possibility. And honestly, it's a fairly outlandish possibility. Mm-hmm. It's not there's not really historical reason to think that this thing's going to happen. But the six is so accustomed to the emotional state of anxiety and the emotional state of the, you know, the unexpected happens that they just begin to see problems, yes. even if there aren't any. Yeah. Non-resourceful six can also withhold their trust. So they're very loyal and trusting, except when they're not, not just from authority figures, but from everyone on the team. So they would have a constant attitude of skepticism, doubt, questioning that makes others feel less confident of themselves or 
kind of paranoid that the six doesn't like them or that the six is mad at them, which can be really hard on the team. And it's kind of counterintuitive because it destroys the camaraderie that sixes really long for. Yeah, yeah. Sixes have a tendency to go all in or all out with their trust. So it's either like, I fully trust and I love Mm -hmm. this place and my coworkers and my boss, or they've done some infraction Mm -hmm. and the six is like, I can't trust you at all. Mm -hmm. And so they want to pull all of it back. And that is a really disorienting experience for the people that work around the six. Another way that we see the false self manifest at work is through our stress arrow. You know, work can be really stressful. And when a six gets stressed, they can actually move into the three space. So, Lindsay, what does that look like? Well, I've heard sixes talk about when they go to the three place, it's like all their anxiety is fueling them into achieving, 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 trying to find safety and all that busy, 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 doing, doing, doing. Yeah. I've also seen where sixes sometimes will basically get into the mindset that the end justifies the means. Mm. And so there's a little bit with the six where they can kind of start to bulldoze and they can just start to take control of the situation convinced that they, because they've done all that homework, that Mm -hmm. they see everything that no one else does. So I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. So again, it's this weird thing, like they're a bundle of opposites, sixes are. And so there's like the one hand where they don't trust themselves. And then suddenly out of nowhere, they way trust themselves too much. Like it's like over the top. Um, But I've also heard some sixes say that they can find some health in the doing that comes from three. You know, they can get a little bit of that three confidence. They can find a goal and start working towards it. And maybe some of that anxiety and fear will fall away as they begin to just get to work instead Mm -hmm. of sitting around asking questions and like letting anxiety take over that they can just do, you know, get a little bit busy. So it can kind of go either way. It can turn into just anxious, busy work, or it can be you know, work that actually reduces anxiety. Yeah. So if you want to know more about stress and how to handle it, well, go back and listen to episode number 42, which is all about the Enneagram and stress. Okay. So far, we've seen that work starts with God. Work is good. It serves a greater purpose, but it isn't the way it's supposed to be. So the question is, how do we get back to the original design that God created? Yeah, well, the answer is in the fifth and final truth, which is work is redeemed through the gospel. You know, each type has a particular message that God speaks to them. It's a message of both forgiveness and healing. And we talked about this at length in season three. But the message that God speaks to the six is this. You are safe in my care. Psalm 46, one and two says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. And when a six can learn to hear and accept this message and carry that into their workplace, it frees them to grow into their virtue and step back into their true self in Christ. Yeah. You know, many Enneagram sources teach that the virtue is what changes us. But we would say that it's Jesus and the gospel that bring change and renewal. And the virtue is simply the outward fruit of that inward change. And the virtue that the six begins to display is courage. So the question is, how do we lean into this virtue at work? And that brings us to the final segment of our teaching, which is Tips for Types. Our first set of tips are four tips for a type six at work. Number one, lean into your growth arrow, and that is the nine. So the nines are all things 
calm, cool, and collected. Mm-hmm. So if you're starting to feel, you know, a little bit of that anxiety creep in and it's leading you to an unhealthy place, you can try to go to the nine side. You know, nines, they see all sides. They can look at things from many different angles and keep calm in the midst of it. You know, they can see the virtues of plan A and plan B and plan C, and they can move forward with one of those plans in a very flexible way. Number two, set up regular communication. And I mean this in two different ways. First, set up regular communication with your coworkers or your boss about the details of your work. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you're meeting on a regular basis so that you feel supported and so that you get the facts that you need in order to accomplish your job and your task. And also, six is I know that you really value positive feedback from the people around you to make sure that you're on the right path. Second, Also communicate with your coworkers just at a personal level. Make sure that you're dedicating time to sit and get to know them, be curious about them, Mm -hmm. share about yourself, but make sure that you're communicating at a personal level because you guys really value community and many sixes will stay in a work environment for a long time if the community is strong enough. So invest in that community. Right. And that's a great way to build trust with a team. You know, you have to get to know each other. Yeah. So number three, ask for reality checks. So your perception is often based out of fear and anxiety. So to get an accurate view on things, ask a trusted colleague for feedback on how you're viewing the situation. They might be able to give you a different, calmer perspective on what's really going on, or they might validate, you're right, this is out of line and you need to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. They could either totally affirm your view and you're Mm -hmm. onto something, but, you know, don't bring all your skepticism into the conversation. Mm -hmm. Be open to the idea that maybe there are other ways of viewing the situation at hand. Yeah. Uh, Number four, clarify your intentions. You know, you guys are so good at asking questions and giving appropriate and healthy criticism in ways that can really benefit everyone. But if you are always questioning, you're always skeptical, there's a sense in which you're always reluctant or resistant, people can get really confused about that. So when you need to ask questions or point out details, make sure that you're also explaining the reason why and remind folks that you're for the team. Mm -hmm. You're just wanting the best outcome. Okay, so those are some tips for the six, but relationships go both ways. So if you're not a six, but you have a type six coworker, here are four tips to help you relate to sixes. Number one, be patient. Sixes naturally ask a lot of questions and they want a lot of information. Recognizing that can help you grant patience to the six and also give you the ability to see when they may be overdoing it. Yeah, yeah. If you are like, oh, this is tiring, try being inside their head. Yeah. Uh, Their heads are, they're very tired. So just be patient with them. Number two, create an atmosphere of trust and integrity. Sixes are just naturally skeptical. They have been around the block enough to know that people deceive people, that people manipulate systems, that people fail to do their work. If you have an environment where gossip takes place on a regular basis or people are stabbing each other in the back and no one is holding them accountable, that is not going to help a six trust the people around them. So, you know, as a coworker, as a boss, be open, be honest, be straightforward. That is what will nurture the trust of the six. Right. Number three, don't try to talk them out of their fear. You never want to tell a six that their fear is silly or unwarranted. No one likes to be patronized. So instead of addressing the fear, help them address whatever the task is that the fear is preventing. 
support them in taking action rather than attacking their emotions. Yeah, yeah. And finally, number four, appreciate their loyalty and their compassion and their grit. We say all the time, sixes are the most courageous of any of the Mm -hmm. Enneagram types because they truly do see all of the pitfalls that the rest of us don't, and they are showing up anyway. And if they're trying to leverage that gift for the sake of everyone else, celebrate that. The fact that they are sticking with you, even possibly when other opportunities are being given to them, and the fact that they're, you know, they got some grit and some muscle and some strength to them, celebrate those things. Name them, say them out loud, Mm -hmm. look them in the eye and celebrate those things. Okay, so those are our tips for type six. When we come back, we'll be talking with Pastor Adam Breckenridge. Stay with us. Hey, it's Anna, media editor. Recently, I took some time to ask our alumni how serving with Love Thy Neighborhood has impacted their lives. Hello, my name is Trevor Martin. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. Trevor served with us for a summer. He's currently a med student pursuing long-term medical work, and he told me that his experience with Love Thy Neighborhood has helped shape not only his young adult life, but also his path in medicine. Every day in the hospital when I'm, when I'm seeing patients, I'm able to lean on that experience that I had with Love Thy Neighborhood and show compassionate care and ultimately point to Christ and point to a greater hope. If you want to find your internship where social action and Christian community meet, head over to lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. That's lovethyneighborhood.org. Hey, welcome back to the IndieCast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Our guest today is Adam Breckenridge. Adam is currently a pastor at Crossing Church in Arkansas. He's received training from the Soul Care Institute from our friends at Crosspoint Ministry. He's also a licensed Enneagram coach, and he is the director of coaching at Your Enneagram Coach. He also does private coaching through 10 Man Ministries, which provides coaching and mentoring for people who want to recover life and live from the heart. He's married to his lifelong friend, Carrie. They have three daughters, and he is a six on the Enneagram. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. We are excited to have this conversation. Yeah. So you are the expert on being a six as a six. And so was there a specific part from the teaching that resonated with you? Well, several things from the teaching resonated with me. I loved that, you know, you focused on the fact that all of life is relational, first Mm -hmm. of all, and just that the work that God has called us to do is always in service of relationship. So to me, I don't know if that's a particular six insight, but it's a human thing. That really resonated with me in the teaching. Just the fact that what Mm -hmm. God's called us to do is always in service of relationship. As a six, that's really what I'm like, what I'm all about. I think God has cultivated in me and in sixes a particular giftedness for being a safe place in relationships. That just really resonated with me deeply in the teaching. The other thing that really stood out to me is that if I'm going to get there, like if I'm going to be able to be a safe place for other people relationally, um, I have to feel safe in God's care. And so I love that in the teaching that we talked about how work is redeemed through the gospel. And for six, that narrative of I'm safe in God's care. You know, Paul says it in Colossians 3, 3 of my life is hidden, hidden Mm -hmm. with Christ in God, like this 
crazy mystical union that we have where God is in me and I'm in him and I'm hidden in him. And so um, I don't I don't have to be afraid. Mm. You know, I actually have a refuge. That's what my fear is telling me is that I need a safe place. I need a refuge. And God is that for me. And so that really stood out to me. And I feel like that's the key to everything. Like I can't be who I am in my true self if I don't embrace the reality that I'm I'm really am safe in God's care. I just love the idea of how every number and personality type on the Enneagram finds kind of these hidden gems in the gospel like that. Yeah. Like hearing you say hidden just hit me in a new way coming from a six and knowing that safety and being hidden in something that it doesn't necessarily strike me on first reading as a one. And I love that. Yeah. When you think of a work environment, do you tend to prefer to be supervised by someone else or do you tend to prefer to be the supervisor? <laughs> I laugh at this question because sixes are so complex, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A bundle of opposites, right? That is exactly right. And, you know, I tend to be uh, a little more of a counterphobic six. And so mm-hmm. I can... I don't know that anybody that knows me would say that I masquerade as an eight, that I have a lot of eight energy, but I do have a lot of like, I'm just going to run out into things. And sometimes I can be a little bit, I can be a little bold with people. It's a way of coping with fear. So this plays out in, you know, relationships with supervisors. So I've seen myself get codependent with authority (laughs) in an effort to feel protected. I'm going to try to win your approval. I'm going to be codependent with you just to to feel protected. But I've also seen myself oppose and push against authority to protect myself. I I really don't mind being supervised. In fact, like I think in like a good six, I really crave clarity and direction. I thrive on it. Here's what's important to me, though. It's really important to me that the leaders that I work with are leaders who value trust as the foundation of a healthy team. Hmm. Leadership teams are relational, not mechanical. So when we're hiring people, we shouldn't be hiring mechanics. We should be hiring gardeners who are trying to cultivate a healthy relational environment. Because here's what happens if a supervisor doesn't trust his team. They're going to micromanage. They're going to not delegate, but then hate their team members because their team members makes them make them do too much work. If the trust is not there, then there's not going to be relationship. I'll be the first to kind of, you know, throw myself under the bus and say that as a leader, I've made all those mistakes. And also sixes just love being trusted. You know, it strikes at the core of who God made me to be. I'm a trustworthy man. Like I'm not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. And And I'll break your trust if we're in relationship long enough. But I'll also prove over the long haul especially when I'm operating in the spirit that I'm, I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to be a loyal guardian and I'm going to do whatever my responsibilities are and I'm going to work hard and I'm a trustworthy person. In true six fashion, I feel like I just gave you a really complex answer to a simple question. <laughs> no, no, it was good. You know, when is a time that your false self has shown up at work? And in particular, I'm thinking about like when sixes get stressed out, you guys tend to go into the three space Yeah. Can you share an example of a time that your false self showed up at work? Yeah. Yeah. Sixes have a particular vulnerability to self-doubt. And Mm -hmm. there's an imposter, actually a committee of imposters that Mm. live in my internal family system. And sixes are quick to forget past successes. So no matter how many sermons I've preached or, or whatever, I still get anxious about the next one. I'm like, can I really do this? Am I really the right guy for this? 
I mean, probably the, the, the biggest way that it's shown up for me is I can get addicted to work. You know, you talk about getting over into that three space. Part of the false self of a three is they can be about efficiency over relationship. And so I can live there. I mean, I have a lot of compassion for threes who battle with that because I have a strong three part in me and I can, I can operate and function out of that place. And a particular time when this all caught up with me was right around 2015. I was, you know, all of these things were showing up and I just ended up burning out. I remember walking up from our st- my study at home on a Saturday. I was preparing a sermon all day. I worked all day on Saturday and I came up from the study and my wife, you know, we've known each other since we were teenagers and kids. And she said, I, she didn't recognize me at all. And she said, I look like a ghost of Adam. And, uh, I'll never forget her line was, if something doesn't change, you're not going to make it to 40. Mm. And it was one of those wake up calls. And so I ended up coming to our elder team and saying something's off with me. And they were like, yeah, we know. Through that experience, I ended up taking a few months out of the out of preaching. I was still working full time, but I wasn't I wasn't preaching. Most of the stuff was manifesting around preaching for some reason. It was a lot of false self coping mechanisms that caught up with me. And in God's mercy, they they wore out and broke down. Yeah, thank you for sharing that with us. The gospel message that we talk about that God speaks to sixes is, you are safe in my care. In what ways do you see or apply that message to your work circumstances? Yeah, so good. You know, I have a sticky note on my desk that just reminds me of that, that I'm my life is hidden with Christ and God, kind of like we were talking about a second ago. And so... Mm-hmm. I try to start my day meditating in that and sitting in that before I ever even jump into work. The way I'm trying to apply that is I'm trying to make my work the overflow of my identity mm-hmm. <laughs> and my work no longer be my identity, if that makes sense. And so when I can start my day with, okay, there's new mercies today for Adam, there's new mercies for all my anxieties. And if I can start my day in silence and solitude, kind of centering myself in God's presence, my work tends to flow from that place, you know, from a safe place, a place of knowing that I'm safe in his care. That means even if I fail, I'm safe. That means even if I, you know, strike out, I'm safe. I have scheduled stops in my day. You know, we talk about fixed hour prayer being a discipline that, you know, Christians have practiced. You see it back in the book of Daniel. You see it in the Psalms, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be honest with you, okay? So sometimes I, that's, that's all my calendar and sometimes I blow right through it. But I try most days to stop and recenter throughout the day. Um, just, just I just find that I need that because the gravitational pull of my heart is is toward performance and toward performance anxiety. And so I've got to constantly come back to this this gospel message. I really am safe because of what Christ has done for me. Yeah, yeah. When have others at work helped you live into the gospel message and your true self? Yeah, I feel like I'm really blessed here because I've, I've worked on some great teams. Others have uh, have been able to do this for me because they've been able to get to know me. You can't love someone if you don't know them. Uh, you can love, you know, the image of that person that they project. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can love their, their layers of protection, but you can't love the actual person unless they make themselves known which feels scary. It's scary to be known. It's scary to be vulnerable. But I'm thankful that I've been able to work on teams that value vulnerability and value trust and um, have created spaces for me to be known. So one of the ways that that staff members and coworkers have helped me live into the gospel message is they've known that I'm anxious and they've not shamed me for it. They've shown me, Mm. they've shown me the gospel. 
by meeting my anxiety with God's love and God's compassion. They have been faithful to me, even when I'm like panicked, not only reminding me of what's true with their words, but even the way they relate to me. I've, I've had teammates flesh out the gospel, flesh out God's love, even just allowing, creating a safe place for me to, if I need to be anxious, if I need to ask you a million questions right now, because I'm anxious, you know, just, a t- just teammates creating a safe place for that, that, that mirrors the father. He can handle all that. He's safe, you know, so you can bring him all your anxieties, cast all your cares upon him. And so I've had teammates that have been that for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think this is going to help a lot of folks. Uh, I know a lot of sixes are going to appreciate, mm-hmm. you know, everything that you've shared. All right, folks, stay with us because when we come back, we will be playing If You Had To with Adam Breckenridge. Stay with us. On today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring type six, the loyalist at work. When sixes tap into their virtue of courage, they can really stand up for what they care about, whether that's people or the world around them. To hear stories of people caring for the world we inhabit, check out our other podcast, the Love That Neighborhood podcast. And specifically, check out episode number 31, where the gospel meets environmentalism. I had one professor, for example, who would say things along the lines of, oh, you know, here we're going to do real science, not like global warming. There are a lot of people that will say that science is going to lead you away from faith. And in a loud voice, he said, you're a Democrat, aren't you? And the bottom line is that uh, creation is groaning. And the overall assessment is that we have some very serious environmental, ecological problems. You can subscribe to the Love That Neighborhood podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts, or by heading over to lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. That's lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Welcome back to the Uniquecast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And now it's time for If You Had To. Okay, our game today is called If You Had To. Here's how it works. Lindsay and I both have a set of cards with different terrible or unpleasant scenarios on them. So for each round, we are going to present you with a scenario. And out of those two scenarios, you have to choose which one you would rather do. But here's the catch. Before you choose, we will also get to sabotage the other person's scenario with a second card, making it even worse. So we will give you the scenarios, then there will be a sabotage, then you're going to have to choose which one you can tolerate and live with. Whichever scenario you pick, that person gets a point. We're going to play three rounds. Whoever has the most points at the end wins. Are you both ready to play? Ready. Ready. Okay. Ladies first. All right. Your first, if you had to, is you would have to live in a hamster ball. <laughs> okay, think so think of how safe you would be in a hamster. Oh, ball. come on. <laughs> come just on. Okay. You're a billionaire, but you projectile vomit <laughs> every time you spend money. Oh gosh. That's disgusting. Yeah. Okay, so here here you go. Give me yours. Okay. All right. You first. 
Okay, so Lindsay has offered you this scenario where you will live in a hamster ball, but there's a catch, and the catch is you will be wearing a scuba suit. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Even safer. That would be very difficult. A hamster ball. Very difficult. That can also go in the water. Oh, my gosh. Wow. All right. So Jesse has said you are a billionaire, but you projectile vomit every time you spend money and... You are balancing on a circus ball. Oh, so I have to pick between one of these scenarios? Yeah, yeah which yeah. one would you rather? And, and we're saying this is life. Like life is one of these two things. Yeah, you yeah. got to pick one, man. You never, you never get off of the uh, ball that you're balancing on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going We're going full on into the catastrophic thinking of the six. We're taking you there. No, you're in it. Yeah. You're already in it. You're yeah. way in it right now. Like you can tell. He sounds really stressed. I know. Oh, I'm I know. super stressed by this. So I really would love <laughs> the financial resources of a billionaire. I don't think I would mind even projectile vomiting. Okay. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. so. But that's a weird part of my story. That's like we've always done funny things with vomit. That's another episode oh. every day. Okay. <laughs> and mostly it goes back to college. This just let me just say this. There's a rule in my college handbook that got added post my graduation that you're no longer allowed to climb up on top of of university buildings and vomit on top <laughs> on top of the building. Holy smokes! <laughs> that's yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've got so many questions. I know. Yeah. We yeah. don't have time well, for your questions. For another, for another time. So, but I don't, but you know, being a billionaire would probably feel like you're balancing on that ball all the time. I bet it would be mm-hmm. super chaotic. So I'm going to go with hamster wheel. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. yes. He threw you off. You thought he was going to choose and he chose mine. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yep. Hamster wheel in a scuba suit. Oh my gosh. All right. All right. <laughs> Okay. Well, I'm going first this round. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Here's what I'm offering you. Scenario one, lock yourself in a porta potty with your least favorite person Ooh. until you are friends. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's like a triple whammy, yeah. right? It's like you're locked in a porta potty with your least favorite person and you and have to you become have to friends. It. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. Brutal. What are you offering? What are you offering, Lindsay? All right. My offering is that everyone talks in front of you as if you're not there. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. It's brutal, but it's also good because you would know what they were really thinking. Yeah. And again, you would be safe because no, you would know everything. That's not true. <laughs> they would crush you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you are locked in a porter potty with your least favorite person and you have to stay in there until your friends and your hands are glued to your hips. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to say it's going to make using the porta potty challenging. That's, like, yeah. that's where my first thought went. What yeah. happens when I've got to go to the bathroom with my friend in there? Yeah. It's, it's also weird. Okay. Lindsay scenario. She she offers you everyone talks in front of you as if you're not there but there's a problem, and the problem is that everything that you touch turns to hummus. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I like hummus. I do, too. You better really like hummus. Like, really like Your it. Your children turn into a pile of Oh, my of gosh. <laughs> yeah, I think about, like, okay, yeah. because I'm, I'm You go to hug your children. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Because now it's like, okay, I'm going into worst-case scenario thinking. I'm thinking about, like, the plagues. Uh, in Egypt, and I'm like, okay, frogs are good, but too many frogs is really bad. So hummus, hummus is good, but you can have too much hummus. You can have too much hummus. 
Guys, this is really tough. Okay, I'm gonna, so people talking in front of me like I'm not there psychologically, I think would like really jack with me. Uh, so I'm gonna lock myself in a porta potty with my enemy and I'm gonna stay yeah, in there. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I didn't want to sabotage myself, but I was thinking when you climb into bed, your bed turns to hummus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if, if really everything, you go to the bathroom and the toilet, it's hummus. Yeah, yeah. Well, so everything. You take a shower when the water yeah. touches you. Does the water it's turn hummus? hummus? Yeah. This is disgusting. And could you imagine just people following you around all day long <laughs> with, you know, pita bread? Just like trying to <laughs> swipe <laughs> things. <sighs> okay, Lindsay, final round. Okay, I got to compose myself. Okay. If you had to, you would have to go live on Mars and never come back. Wow, that's a rough one. Man. Yeah. Okay, here's what I'm offering. You have to buy everything you see an advertisement for. Everything that you see an advertisement for, you got to buy it. Okay. Really could uh, use that billionaire money from earlier. Yeah, so a full-blown worst-case scenario thinking happening right now. I mean, either way, I'm going to destroy my family, so... Uh, that's yeah, that's a given. Yeah, your family's shot. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> yeah. that's that's a done deal. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So uh, so Lindsay's offering that you go live on Mars and you never come back. But there's a problem, and the problem is that you're a baby. <laughs> baby on Mars. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you're a baby. They shot you into you're space. Going to Mars. Not coming back. All right. So you have to buy everything you see an advertisement for and everything you buy turns into a pinata oh my gosh so he has to buy everything he sees an advertisement for but whatever he does buy <laughs> it's a turns pinata, into a pinata. Turns into a so pinata? <laughs> is the item inside the pinata or it's a pinata <laughs> no. itself it's a pinata itself so the man just has pinatas. all pinatas yep you just wow. built my marketing strategy you just you just open the door to how i'm going to become a billionaire (laughs) Uh, what i'm going to do is i'm going to buy everything that i see it's going to turn into a pinata and i'm going to have the world's most successful pinata business ah there you go so what i hear is um well i'm going to go with uh i have to buy everything i see Oh, you won, Jesse. Ladies and gentlemen, I think we're done here. Let's just go ahead we're and wrap done. this up. Forget the question. <laughs> if you guys are looking to buy a pinata, you can visit me at www.buyeverything you see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can visit our website at everythingsapinata.com. <laughs> yes. Life's a pinata. Oh, no. There you go. <laughs> All right. And now it's time for listener questions. This question comes from Linderbank. How do I handle a supervisor who is not clear on expectations or has ever-changing expectations? Well, I think, you know, we always want to lead with compassion, but I would invite you to walk through your fear and have the courage to basically ask for some more clarity. I mean, clarity is kindness, right? So to ask for clarity and to ask for, you know, a little bit of stability is not uh, unreasonable. So we have, you know, we have to have a, a, as sixes, I'll say I've got to have enough flexibility to pivot. Life is one big curveball, and you've got to be able to pivot. At the same time, a six is not going to thrive where there's frenetic visionary leadership. 
So if leaders are constantly changing directions, changing their minds, and they have a lot of anxious energy about them, if you're going to confront your boss or confront anyone, you should do it with some compassion. Yeah. Yeah. As somebody who enjoys working with sixes, I prefer it when sixes get all their questions together in one Mm. session and we meet once and we go through them. What I don't enjoy is when questions keep getting drug out over a long Mm. period of time and it begins to slow us down to the point that the questions are doing more harm than good. And so I think that it's important for the six to slow down enough to organize yourself, figure out what you really need answers for, and then schedule some time to get those answers. But be cautious of asking ongoing questions in such a way that, you know, don't be surprised if you have a boss or coworkers that say, okay, it's time to get on with it. Mm-hmm. So all six is listening. That is deep, 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 deep wisdom. All right. This question is from Hillary N. How much should I share with my boss and coworkers if I'm feeling a lot of fear or anxiety about a certain project? What's the line between honest vulnerability and being unprofessional? Well, I think it could be a little bit subjective. I think it, I think a lot of it can depend on the kind of work culture, workplace environment, you know, that you're in, you know, how much of that is tolerated, what's acceptable. I think sixes need to learn to trust their giftedness at the same time. Mm. Whenever you bring your, your anxiety to the, to your boss, I think there has to be some growing confidence in you that you're not an idiot. Like, like I don't know the way to say it. Like right. there's, no yep. Other, yep. there's no other pastoral way or, or eloquent way to say it. I think it's being honest about what you're anxious about can be a real gift. It can be a chance to get some rea- some reassurance. It can be a chance for connection or a doorway into connection. I think where unprofessionalism can come in to, to play is if there's, if there's a complete total lack of confidence and trust in yourself, it's going to lead you to, to spin out and be unprofessional. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I think it's appropriate, you know, regardless of whether it's anxiety or sadness, mm-hmm. it's some moments for an employee to say, hey, boss, I just want to make you aware I am going through this right now. But I also want to tell you I am committed to my work and I'm going to keep doing it. But again, I think that if the six can identify what are some of the specific questions that are making you anxious about that project and the more that you can just lean into the facts of the situation and your emotions not always but often will catch up with you but if you go to your boss and the conversation is mostly just around your anxiety a lot of bosses may have the thought like i can't manage your anxiety for you Mm -hmm. like there's just a job that has to be done so again identify what about the project is making you anxious and bring those questions, get answers, and then try to do some of the personal work around how can I be courageous in the face of my anxiety. Mm -hmm. Very good. Okay, this question comes from Marls. How can staying loyal and stepping away from certain responsibilities coexist? Yeah, so if loyalty can never leave outside of those covenants, like a marriage covenant, a covenant, you know, to, to Christ and his body, if loyalty can never leave, it's not loyalty, it's codependency. Sometimes to be loyal, you need to leave. Uh, I think about Paul, you know, the Apostle Paul standing on the, on the beaches of Ephesus, and he's leaving these people that he loves. He's loyal to these people. He loves these people. And he's loyal to Jesus and Jesus' call in his life. And Jesus has called him to leave and continue, you know, on his missionary journey to, to spread the gospel. So he leaves, right? And 
you know, there's a fine line. There can be a fine line between loyalty and codependency. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. Man, this has been great. Mm-hmm. Adam, thank you so much. I just think so much of what you've said has been so clear and so helpful, so thoughtful, yeah. nuanced, realistic. Yeah, I think your words are just going to help a lot of our listeners. So thank you. Well, thank you guys so much for giving me the opportunity. I love your podcast. I love what you're doing. Special thanks to our guest today, Adam Breckenridge. If you'd like more information about Adam's coaching services, you can find him at 10manministries.org slash Adam Breckenridge. Or to learn about his new coaching work with Your Enneagram Coach, head over to yourenneagramcoach.com. Teaching content for this episode comes from Crosspoint Ministry, Beatrice Chestnut, and Kim Eddy. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year and grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. This episode was edited by Rachel Zabo, Lindsay Lewis, and myself. Rachel is also our media director and producer. Anna Tran is our audio engineer. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community.